April showers bring Mayflowers, but what do Mayflowers bring? A special offer from the DSR Network. For the month of May, become a member and receive 20% off a monthly or annual membership. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, exclusive bonus content, our evening members-only newsletter, and an invitation to continue the conversation via our members-only Slack community. This offer won't last, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code MAYFLOWERS, one word, to receive your discount. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code MAYFLOWERS. Thank you for your support. It's May 25th, 2023, and this is your DSR Daily Brief. I'm Chris Kotnor. Our top stories from international outlets this morning. Reuters has an exclusive in which they report that the United Arab Emirates has become a key trade hub for Russian gold since Western sanctions over Ukraine cut Russia's more traditional export routes, Russian customs records show. The records, which contain details of nearly a thousand gold shipments in the year since the Ukraine war started, show the Gulf state imported 75.7 tons of Russian gold, worth $4.3 billion, up from just 1.3 tons during 2021. China and Turkey were the next biggest destinations, importing about 20 tons each between February 24, 2022 and March 3, 2023. With the UAE, the three countries accounted for 99.8% of the Russian gold exports in the customs data for this period. In the days after the Ukraine conflict started, many multinational banks, logistics providers, and precious metal refiners stopped handling Russian gold, which had typically been shipped to London, a gold trading and storage hub. The export records show, however, that Russian gold producers quickly found new markets in countries that had not imposed sanctions on Moscow, such as the UAE, Turkey, and China. According to reporting from the AP, two opposing visions for Turkey's future are on the ballot when voters return to the polls Sunday for a runoff presidential election that will decide between an increasingly authoritarian incumbent and a challenger who has pledged to restore democracy. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, a populist and polarizing leader who has ruled Turkey for 20 years, is well positioned to win after falling just short of victory in the first round of balloting on May 14th. He was the top finisher, even as the country reels from sky-high inflation and the effects of a devastating earthquake in February. Kemal Kilik Daraglu, the leader of Turkey's pro-secular main opposition party and a six-party alliance, has campaigned on a promise to undo Erdogan's authoritarian tilt. The 74-year-old former bureaucrat has described the runoff as a referendum on the direction of the strategically located NATO country, which is at the crossroads of Europe and Asia and has a key say over the alliance's expansion. Erdogan scored 49.5% of the vote in the first round, Kilik Daraglu received 44.9%. At 69, Erdogan is already Turkey's longest-serving leader, having ruled over the country as prime minister since 2003 and as president since 2014. He could remain in power until 2028 if re-elected. 
The Guardian reports that the head of the Wagner mercenary force has said that 20,000 of its fighters have been killed in the battle for the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut and warned that Russia could face another revolution if its leadership does not improve its handling of the war. Yevgeny Prigozhin said 20% of the 50,000 convicts Wagner has recruited and a similar number of its regular troops had been killed over several months in the fight for Bakhmut. Prigozhin pointed to the social disparity underlined by the war, with the sons of the poor being sent back to the front in zinc coffins while the children of the elite shook their arses in the sun. This divide can end as in 1917 with a revolution, he said in an interview posted on his channel on the Telegram messaging app. First the soldiers will stand up, and after that their loved ones will rise up. There are already tens of thousands of them, relatives of those killed. And there will probably be hundreds of thousands. We cannot avoid that. If you'd like more analysis on Wagner and Prigozhin, you can listen to this week's episode of Foreign Office with Michael Weiss. Elsewhere, according to the New York Times, Ron DeSantis's long-awaited official entry into the 2024 presidential campaign went haywire at its start on Wednesday during a glitch-filled live stream over Twitter. Mr. DeSantis's official run for the White House got off to an embarrassing start as the planned live screen with Twitter's eccentric billionaire owner Elon Musk was marred by technical problems and dead air. The audio cut in and out amid talk of melting the servers, hot mic whispering, and on-the-spot troubleshooting. Despite the problems, Mr. DeSantis, the combative 44-year-old Republican governor of Florida who has championed conservative causes and thrown a years-long flurry of punches at America's left, provides Donald Trump the most formidable Republican rival he has faced since his ascent in 2016. His candidacy comes at a pivotal moment for the Republican Party, which must choose between aligning once more behind Mr. Trump, who lost in 2020 and continues to rage falsely about a stolen election, or uniting around a new challenger to take on President Biden. The Washington Post reports that House Democratic lawmakers are voicing frustration over President Biden's approach to negotiating a debt ceiling deal with Republicans, worrying that their priorities are not being championed aggressively enough and that Biden hasn't more forcefully pushed back publicly against Republican demands. In a previously unreported interaction, Representative Sheila Jackson, who has served in the House for almost 30 years, encouraged Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries during Democrats' weekly caucus meeting Tuesday to ask the president to immediately address the nation, detailing how Republicans are toying with the economy and explaining that a default would catastrophically affect their lives. House Democrats across ideological factions are frustrated at what they say is a lack of communication by the White House at a time when they should be preparing to defend their party's president, who has frequently commented on his willingness to find compromise in hopes of striking a deal. Democrats have publicly and privately said the president isn't responding forcefully enough to Republicans' framing of the negotiations and that their lack of insight into the process could jeopardize Democrats' ability to whip votes in support once a bipartisan deal eventually hits the House floor. 
According to Politico, Emmanuel Macron couldn't have hoped for a more engaging crowd. A group of women, workers with hard helmets and protective gear, were asking for a photo. In the past weeks, Macron has been hitting the road across France visiting towns big and small in what he called a bid to engage with the people after the bruising debates over his controversial pensions reform. France has been rocked by weeks of protests in the wake of the French president's decision to bypass parliament and push through a reform raising the age of retirement to 64 from 62. The forcing through of the reform was widely seen as yet another manifestation of Macron's famously Jupiterian governance style, a vertical top-down manner of running the country. On his difficulties in connecting with the public, Macron said, My visits are simple. The overwhelming majority of the French may be against the pensions reform, but I do not confuse people who disagree with me with the small minority that are prone to disrespect. In lighter news from the UPI, the Rhode Island house that inspired the 2013 horror film The Conjuring is offering fans of the films and amateur paranormal investigators the chance to go gamping, ghost camping, on the property. The campsites can be rented for $300 to $400 a night, and each has its own fright factor rating said to correlate with the spookiness of the camping experience. Visitors are to bring their own equipment to investigate what might await in the darkness because this excursion is sure to test your capacity to experience the paranormal, the Conjuring House's website states. The home was not seen on screen in The Conjuring, but the residents hosted the real-life events that served as the basis for the movie. The Perone family, whose lives were dramatized in the movie, reported numerous paranormal experiences during their decade in the home. If you have a strange but true story that you'd like to share, please email us at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. The story should come from a reputable news source and be verifiable. If we use the story, we'll include a shout-out to the person who sent it. That's all the news I have for you today. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find the show. If you have a tip topic or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at thedsrnetwork.com. Members of the DSR Network will receive an evening newsletter version of the DSR Daily Brief. If you'd like more in-depth analysis of these issues, be sure to follow the links in the show notes and tune into our sister podcasts on the DSR Network. Stay safe and stay tuned to the DSR Daily Brief.